I want to direct your thoughts back to a story that is familiar to all of us for a few moments. Uh, and it's in First uh, Samuel, the 17th chapter. And of course, immediately, many of you just went, ah, David and Goliath. Uh, a story that we've all known and we've all heard all of our days. And I want to remember, though, a specific little part of this story is the young man David has shown up on the top of that ridge overlooking the battlefield as that monster Goliath had come out to the valley to challenge God's army once again. And as he stood down there in the, in the bottom of that valley, beckoning up at the armies of the living God and saying, send down your champion that we can do battle. And then whoever wins that battle, the others will be their servants from here on. And God's people stood at the top of that hill and God's army stood at the top of that hill and they heard that challenge day and day again. In verse 24 of Samuel 17, says, And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him, and they were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have ye seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel he has come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king, will enrich him with great riches, and will give him his daughter, and make his father's house free in Israel. But have you seen him? Have you looked at him? And seen what he would probably do to every one of us if we went down to do battle with that man, that monster that they send down every day. And this young man, this young shepherd, David, stood there amongst God's people. And, uh, and as the, the men stood around him saying, David asked the question, what shall be done to the man that killeth his Philistine and taketh away with reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him. The Bible says the same way. They told him the story again about everything that Saul had promised to the man who would go down, who would defeat this army. And you know, as David was standing there having this conversation amongst the uh, army of God, his older brother was standing over there at the side, Eliab. And Eliab saw him. And Eliab heard the questions that he was asking and the things that David was saying. And he finally walked over after he'd had enough and he said, Look, our father, you have left back in his hometown. All of the flocks that our family have, you've left. You've abandoned all these things. And you're coming up here to ask these foolish questions about something that you don't know anything about. You naughty boy, why are you here? All you did is you would come up here and you want to see a battle. That's, that's all that you are here for. And then David asked that question that I guess all of us who have a book of sermons have this sermon somewhere in that sermon book when David would look around at his brother and say, what have I done? Is there not a cause? And I guess we all have that sermon in our book somewhere. But I want you to pay a little more attention to what David has actually said there because if you, if you take that into our language today, directly from the original language what David is asked there he says what have I done have I not just asked a question have I not just said something have I not just asked what's going on here because David's question basically was this to the armies of the living God you're going to let this fella come down there every day and disrespect God and his army and you're just going to stand here well when those people shouldn't have been should have been ashamed no, they were challenged again. And once again, they refused that challenge. And David said, I've just said a word. But then a little bit later on, David is going to do more than just say a word, as we know from the story. 
Because it wasn't going to be long before some from the army would come. Have you heard this young man, David? Have you heard him, what he's out here saying all of this time? Have you heard all of these things? And in verse 32, David would get to peer before Saul. And it says, And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Talking about Goliath. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. You know, I don't know that David knew that he was going to win that battle at that point. I think he had faith that he would. But I don't know that he, that he knew how it was going to turn out. But he told Saul, he said, don't let, don't let your heart fail because of this man because I'm going to go down and I'm going to do battle with him. If nobody else of these champions of God's people are going to go do battle, I'm going to go and I'm going to do battle with this man. God needs men and women like David of old. Humble servants. David wasn't being cocky as his brother would have accused him of. He wasn't being proud or boastful as Eliab would have said at this time. No, David was a humble servant of God whose words comfort and ease the situation, angers of others, but then who immediately turns to the task at hand and proves that their words aren't their only action, but prove that they are going to go and they are going to go to the battle. Today, God needs people like that. You know, I was glad that Jerry and others decided to use this theme for the meeting. And I was thrilled that I was going to get to see this chart again. And yes, again is what I mean by that. When I was a boy, I remember this chart hanging up in a church building out in California. I wish I remembered as well as Jimmy, Brother James' son, remembered what the sermon was, but I remember the chart. I remember the first time I saw it hanging in a building when Jerry was preaching. I walked over to him before service started. I said, would you get that chart? Because I knew it was probably either Brother Winchester's or my grandfather's, one or the other. Um, and I remember these so very well. But there are some key things that are on this chart that I want us to think of for a few moments this morning as we think of David and that great battle that he would fight that we know the results. I'm not going to go through it to, to the end because you know the story of the battle here. But a couple of things, if we can, to take away from this for a moment in our lives today. Great battles that we fight and that we have the opportunity to be a light in God's window. And the first thing, the first cause maybe, or the first thing that we need to step out and to show is our fidelity to God in this lost and dying world, this world that would cause us so much problem and so much friction, are we willing not only to, as we might say, walk the walk, but are we willing, or excuse me, talk the talk, but are we willing to walk the walk? And I use that term fidelity rather than faith, although basically the same idea in this, but I use the term fidelity for a reason because fidelity not only has to do with being faithful to something, but it has to do with the exactness with which something is copied or reproduced. Uh, I recall going through mom and dad's record set at home. They have stacks of albums at home. And one that always stuck out in my mind specifically was an old Statesman Quartet record. And up in the upper right-hand corner in this uh, bright yellow blast, as it were, with printing inside, uh, it said there on that deal that this record was done in high fidelity. And in explanation of that idea of high fidelity, it said that it was as true to the live concert sound as could be reproduced. And for the day, it probably was. And I still remember listening to those records and thinking, man, that is something that they can record something and it can be that true to the original sound. Well, I would tell you today that our faith in God 
must show that fidelity to Jesus Christ. Not only to be in word that we believe in God, but it must be as close of a reproduction as we can in our lives to him and to his work. Paul would say in Galatians 2 and 20 that I've been crucified with Christ and it is no longer that I live, but Christ lives in me. And that life which I now live in the flesh, I live in faith, the faith which is the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Peter would say again in 1 Peter the second chapter beginning in verse 21, For here and two were ye called because God, or excuse me, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that ye should follow in his steps. And we like that idea. We look at that and we say in our lives every day, isn't that wonderful? We've been given the example, the footsteps that we can follow in that takes us back to God. And we certainly have been given those. And we sit and we sing the song, Footprints of Jesus, that make the pathway glow. We will follow the steps of Jesus wherever they go. And then the very next verse says, Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. And we start thinking about maybe what we posted on Facebook last week or what we said at work when something didn't go the exact way that we wanted to. And then it goes on to say, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. And we think about the last time that maybe we got crosswise with some brethren in a business meeting or when the sisters got together and something wasn't going exactly like one of them would say. And then it says, and when he suffered, he threatened not. You see, all of these are the footprints of Jesus that he left for us to follow here at this earth. And are we with true fidelity and high fidelity following after this thing? But it goes on to say he committed himself to him that judges righteously. And Peter's words leads us to the main definition of fidelity, which I want to spend a moment on today, which is a faithfulness to a person, a cause, or a belief that is demonstrated by continuing loyalty and support. Because you see, too many times people today think, well, I've obeyed the gospel, that's good enough. I've been immersed in water for the remission of sins. That's good enough. That's as far as it needs to go. But this is a continuing thing, according to Webster and according to the Bible as well. And it's a daily battle that we all fight. The battle to remain faithful, to remain loyal to the Lord once we've obeyed the gospel. To live daily the way that he would have us to do. To conduct ourselves, as we talked about in Peter's words in 1 Peter 2. To be able to conduct ourselves, as was talked about earlier in 1 Peter the third chapter and in verse 15. Where if that knock ever comes at the door that we are ready to stand and we are ready to give an answer. But I want you to understand what Peter was writing to these people at that time. It wasn't just any time. Peter was telling them about problems and issues and persecutions that were going to come up in their life that they had never seen before. And you know, we think we've been persecuted the last couple of years and I guess maybe some people can say that, but listen, we've been inconvenienced the last couple of years. Because when that knock came on our door, at the end of the worship service one day, it was just a person from the health department saying, well, you know, these are our guidelines, this, that, and the other. Yes, you need to follow those guidelines. And we said, yes, thank you very much. And they went on their way, and we went on ours. When these people heard that knock on the door, it was somebody who was asking them the question, are you one of them? Are you one of the way? And if they answered that question in the affirmative, they may have been a streetlight on a road in Rome coming up that next night because they may have been burning 
alive along the roads to light the way for Roman citizens. They may have lost their business. They may have lost their lives. And Peter says, that's all right. Don't you fear them because of that. When they come to ask that question, you be ready to give an answer for your faith. And you better be, have lived a life of fidelity if you are going to be able to do that. But just in our last couple of minutes, I need to rush on here. There's one other thing that I want to spend a few moments on that is very, has become <laughs> more and more important to me as I get older, uh, as I see my boys with wives now, a couple of grandkids. The idea of our families have become so very important to me. Our families are another place where we need to stand up. Our families are another place where there is certainly a cause for us to fight today. And many times we don't do that. The family has always been an important part of God's plan. Before we go talking about what society considers a family and of marriage today, let us always remember that the family, that marriage, that parenthood, that raising children inside this institution of family are all institutions of God, not institutions of men. So men can come with the laws of the land and say whatever they want to say about these things, but we must remember as God's people, these are God's institutions, and we have been given the way that they are supposed to function. I like the way that one author put it in an article for a Focus on the Family website when he wrote this. He said, we know artists by their most important creations, Michelangelo by the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, Beethoven by his Fifth Symphony. Each masterpiece reveals something of its creator. The same is true of God. We catch a glimpse of the artist at work by reading the first two chapters of Genesis. He spoke galaxies into existence. He formed the mountains. He filled the oceans. He planted forests with a magnificent range of color and variety. But the masterpiece that reveals more about God than anything else shows up when God made something called the family. I like that. I like that. Because there's so much that we learn being part of the family that we don't think about from time to time that we don't, uh, maybe doesn't come to our mind. We know, of course, when we look over and, and we read Paul's writings in Ephesians, the fifth chapter, beginning in verse 17, right down through Ephesians 6, verse 4, uh, the husbands and wives, the relationship equals the relationship of Christ to the church. And we you know, and we have seen uh, all of these things uh, 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 about that. And we understand these things. And then in Colossians 3, 17 through 21, the same sorts of things. But I want you to understand this. In Ephesians 5, that context goes back to verse 17. It doesn't just start down in verse 23 where, oh, maybe men would like it to start. It doesn't start back, or excuse me, where women would like it to start. It doesn't start back in verse 21 where maybe men would like it to start, you know, where our wives are supposed to subject themselves to us and all of these things. No, this starts back in verse 17 where it says, Wherefore be ye not foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The way that we conduct ourselves in our homes and our families is the will of God. Let me submit just a couple of things to you real quickly in closing on these things because there are some lessons taught there that we sometimes skip by. Brothers and sisters, if you're raising children, I want you to understand the lessons that you are teaching them every day. By being a loving father, by being a loving mother, by laying down guidelines that your children are to live by, by holding them to those guidelines and making sure that they function with those things, 
for them to understand that we're not following after those guidelines. There are indeed punishments that come from that. You are showing them an example on a very small scale of their relationship from now on with a loving God. Because you see, God functions that way in our lives. God gives us guidelines. He gives us things that we are supposed to do, ways that we are supposed to live, that there's much success if we follow after those things. But if we don't, there are punishments as well. And you are showing that forth every day to your children when you function inside the home as you ought to. And you children, by the way, when the Bible tells you to honor your father and mother, and when the Bible tells you to obey your parents in everything that you do, you're learning some lessons as well. You are learning to function within this relationship, not only of the home, but you are learning to function within that relationship with God and with Jesus Christ that you will function in. Parents, it is time. Children, it is time. And grandparents, it is time for us to stand up and understand that our families and our homes are the cause. I grew up in a congregation that, as I remember, I wish I could remember all the numbers now, and I'll close with this, but I grew up in a congregation at home that when I was a little boy, there were, there were 40 some kids in that congregation. And it seemed like the possibilities were limitless. And yet I look around today, and to the best of my knowledge today, there are, of that 40, almost 50 children, there are about eight or nine, maybe 10, that are still faithful members of the Lord's church. We didn't plan that. That's not the way it was supposed to go. But you know, many times it was because the home wasn't functioning as it should, that things weren't happening there. Strong homes equal strong churches, equals strong congregations. Keep that in mind. Oh, there's all sorts of causes that we could talk about this morning that we need to be careful of. Hopefully those were a couple that were helpful to you today. This morning, we don't know. We've, we've heard some powerful teaching this morning. And we don't know the minds of those that are here today. But if you've never become one of the Lord's. If you're not one of his today, you have the opportunity to do so and there is nothing that would thrill us more as part of this series of gospel meetings than to assist someone in obedience to the gospel. If you're here today, you've heard the gospel preached and you know what you need to do. If you believe upon Jesus Christ as the Son of God, if you're willing to repent of your past life, to turn and to walk anew with Him, if you're willing to confess Jesus Christ, that He is the Son of God before this congregation, that makes you a candidate for immersion in water for the remission of your sins. All of your sins can be washed away, as Brother David was talking about just a little bit ago, and you get that new body. You get that new life to walk in. If you've never done that, do it today. Wow.